doll, you never show me nothing but kindness. She would say, I know how sad you get. And some days I still get that way, but it gets better. It gets better. It gets better. Sweetie, it gets better, I promise you. And she'd tell me, she'd tell me. Thank you for joining me. My name is Hecate, and this is Finding Okay, a podcast for survivors. And I'm joined today by my sister, Chie. Hello. Yay. Yay. (laughs) Trigger and content warnings for this episode include the following. Sexual assault, PTSD, abusive teachers, and a conversation about binary gender socialization. No dog whistles are intended. Trans women are women. Trans men are men. All right. And uh, yeah, the the first question I actually have to ask is, uh, are you okay? I am. I'm very okay. Thank you for yeah. asking, though. Great. <laughs> However, I, I don't mean this in terms of, you know, when you ask at a checkout counter and it's like, how you doing? I'm fantastic. Like, I'm asking, like, ooh, super deep, like, are you okay? I mean, existentially, are any of us yes. really okay? Oh no. <laughs> um, yes, yes. I'm I'm doing all right, you know. It's uh highs and lows as usual. Yeah, you know, per life. But uh yeah, doing I think okay is a good good word. Yeah. All right. Good, good. And uh I'm also looking for a compliment that you received that you've never forgotten. Ooh. Oh my gosh, that's a really hard one. It's super important though. Hmm. Is this one of those ones I probably should have sent beforehand? Yes, yes it is. Um the one that I've gotten recently and that I've gotten from a number of people um that I really like is that I make people feel safe. That's a really beautiful yeah, one. Yeah, and I really like that. That's a really wonderful quality, yeah. That's what I hear. <laughs> yeah, perfect answer. Yeah. All right, and here's a, like, super basic bitch question, but with a follow-up. What's your favorite color or color combination? And the follow-up is, what do you associate with it? Ooh, uh, well, I know my favorite color is a violent shade of violet. Uh, very mm. bright. And what do I associate with it? I don't know. There's just, there's something very deep and vibrant about it. Um, certain flowers, there's there's certain flowers that have, have the shade, but yeah, it has a, like, there's a mellowness to it, but there's also energy. Uh, and that's where, like, the, the bright quality is, you know, this isn't just, like, a, a chill, dull shade of purple. No, it's, like, it's it's beautiful yeah. but it's vibrant you actually um i was just going to to follow up your answer of of violet with the artist question of like so when you say violet what you <laughs> is know, it blue some or is say it purple at, well actually some people when they say violet they mean more pink really um 
Yes. And so you probably got a decent amount of like pushback from that because you had me coming home with color wheels. Like, actually, it's called violet. <laughs> um, accurate, accurate. Yeah, but also, yeah, if you yeah. think of the flowers, violets, you know, aren't they usually sort of bluish purple? Or like mm-hmm. they're kind of purplish blue, I think, personally. Yeah. I'd be, yeah, I'd be interested to see this sometime soon. Like the perfect example of your. I like your uh, your nice alliteration answer of like violent, violet, a violent shade of violet. It's very hard to find, but when you find it, ooh, it's gorgeous. That's how I feel about um, the blue that I love. Which what's the name of it? Uh, the closest that you could get would probably be thalo. Okay, it's a sort of like a very deep royal blue. Ah, uh, here's the thing actually like um and actually the the descriptive word that you're looking for with the color to to describe the brightness is called saturation. Ah yes, very saturated. Yes, a saturated blue and a saturated violet. Yes. Gotcha. That is the word I was looking for. My mistake. Yeah, saturation. A very yeah. saturated. Nope, not violet. your mistake. It's just not your major. <laughs> hey, oh, whoa. <laughs> I have a degree in talking to people about color. Super annoying. <laughs> Um, all right. Uh, and here's my favorite question. If I needed to summon you in a ritual, what five things would I need to place as offerings at each point of the pentagram on the floor? Okay. I, let's see. One would definitely be a crow feather. Uh, you know, don't injure the bird when you take it. (laughs) Um, it should be a gift. They leave gifts. Yeah, it should be a, like a gifted crow feather. Uh, mm-hmm. Chocolate peanut butter cups, of course. Delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, a stone from a riverbed. Like, mm-hmm. you have to actually get it from underneath the water. You can't just, like, pick a stone up from next to a river. Pitch climb like, in like, river. Get in the water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and a seed. You didn't get wet, I'll know. <laughs> Like, well, no, because it's like you need the water element and also the earth element. It kind of like combines the two. Oh, yeah. there's levels. Yeah, there's levels. Gotcha. Whereas like the oh, crow, it's okay. like there's there's the animal yeah. aspect. There's that bird. There's, yeah. But it's also like wind, you know, because feathers. Oh, no. You oh, yeah. thought way oh, too much about oh, this. Oh, I thought about dear. this. Um, oh, shit. The last <laughs> one is a seed from a cottonwood tree. Um, and I don't have a fifth one. I'm trying to think. Hmm. I was thinking something. It doesn't have to be like hard pagan. It can also <laughs> be like a Harry Potter book or like, like coffee. Something less Sp- deep. I mean, I was thinking maybe like a candle <laughs> that is sandalwood fav- uh, not flavored, uh, sandalwood scented. There we go. Yum, 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 yum. Because <laughs> um, um, I just, for whatever reason, love the scent of sandalwood even though I know it's, like, crazy expensive and possibly endangered. I don't know. There are some sustainability questions. I'm not super familiar with them. Yeah. There's some sustainability issues, and also I still love the smell. I can't help it. Um, oh, it's a beautiful smell. Yeah. yeah. Good answer. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. So, yes, the last one is a candle with the sandalwood scent. And it's got to be lit, obviously, because fire. Oh, you still did it. Okay. <laughs> what? 
<laughs> got that last element in there. Did I really get them all? I got air. Oh, air I did a water, twofer with earth. the air for with the yeah stone and the water. Wait, what am I missing? I'm gonna wait to see if you figure it out. I've got air. I've got fire. I've got earth. Your your clue is the pentagram itself. I've got water. Is it spirit? There you go. <laughs> I was like, I mean, I guess chocolate peanut butter cups like are a spiritual experience. <laughs> so yeah, I guess I got them all. Woot. It's chocolate, so I mean, yeah, exactly. But it, it has to have peanut butter with it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Necessary. Otherwise, it's soulless, soulless chocolate. Soulless yeah. chocolate, exactly. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> <laughs> all right yeah it's all right. Ice, ice broken okay yeah. shattered it's everywhere <laughs> oh no oh god what have i done uh. <laughs> so uh we had gone over like a few of the things that we we're gonna talk about is there anything you'd like to talk about first oh wait oh shit i forgot you were gonna say something about yourself about who was I? Was I though? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you <laughs> were. Was I? Um you didn't want to, but, but oh, gonna... um I just wasn't I wasn't prepared. Um I love being prepared. Um Yeah, mm. let's see, my name is That's something about yourself. That's something about myself, that is true. Um uh, my name is mm-hmm. Chie and I am your sister. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh let's see, I have a background in psychology. I'm also a bit of a Star Trek nerd and yes. Buddhist, you know, leanings. And by leanings, I mean hard, I'm, hard I'm, leanings. I'm, I'm <laughs> hard leanings. Yes, I'm. I'm. I am a Buddhist. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Um, I like dancing. <laughs> oh, and a uh, harp. I love music. I play the harp. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's significant. Yeah. Not many people play the harp i enjoy it pretty pretty <laughs> badass and yeah. i've been working on singing but you know give it time give it time you did sing for me at some point um i can't remember if it was when i was visiting you or uh, i can't remember but and it was the first time i had heard you sing since i think we were children or something but you have a beautiful voice when it, i'm not belting the sound it. of music at the top of my lungs you know it really uh Oh, that was like a while that that happened. Like years. Yeah, yeah. that. Oh, I blocked that out. Yeah. Well, you're welcome <laughs> for bringing that back. Well, it was I, yeah, trigger warning. It, it was uh, yeah, <laughs> sound of music. Oh god. <laughs> well, I, it, like it was kind of countered by me having jingle bells stuck in my head for like a decade. Also, so my just, fault. Like, you're welcome. You're welcome again. Was it your fault? Was it not my fault? Was it your fault? I think that was just me. <gasps> Thankfully, it's finally not my fault. A burden lifted. <laughs> oh, okay. Psychological healing has occurred. Yes. Oh, I've waited all this that. time. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm just remembering um, that game of Kent with our cousins. <laughs> and mm-hmm. was it, I think it was my, my partner, our signal. Um, so for people who don't know this game, it's basically yeah. you've got partners and you have a secret signal that it's an amazing game. It's really fun. Um, but you have you work out a signal with your partner that the other team isn't supposed to know. And um, and essentially, it's like you're supposed to pick up on your partner signal. And then if 
someone says, can do you win? Um, if if they have the cards that you were looking for. Four of four of a kind, right? Uh, I think so. Uh, but yeah, I just yeah. remember one of uh one of us bursting out humming jingle bells. Yeah, because because they if if they think that the other team is signaling, they say stop and they win. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so like you can throw out like false signals meant to like and because if they're wrong then they lose then you win yeah yeah and so like false signals happen a lot and uh it was with our cousins and so my cousin that was always like on on my team we have an unbroken signal a signal that has never been picked up on and that neither one of us has ever shared i mean we finally got a good one like five years in that i don't think anyone's ever picked up Oh, I don't remember. This. I know because you've never figured it out. No, I, I mean I don't remember you having a winning streak because <laughs> oh, oh, I remember thanks. at a certain point we played less because we kept winning. <laughs> oh, thanks, thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. Anyway, great moment, great moment. <laughs> I remember at a certain point it was like maybe we need to switch up teams more often because this is bulletproof. <laughs> but you guys didn't want to. You refused to play with us. It's fun being bulletproof. <laughs> uh, to be a younger sibling, it's so mm. hard. Mm, yeah. you will never know oh and we didn't we didn't say that explicitly but you are my younger sister oh yes that's true i mean yeah. wiser you know taller yes but you know who's counting taller definitely definitely taller <laughs> uh anyway indeed <laughs> the fuck were we talking about um, oh icebreakers that was that was your intro that was like oh right who me are. who am i yeah yes. yeah that was, <laughs> that, was that was pretty good and uh yeah is there is there something that well i mean we both have ptsd and we both had the misfortune to have some unfortunate life experiences <laughs> yes well um i mean older sister i did that shit first <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, who's counting, um, which, but, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so so I went and, and got PTSD. Um, uh, we laugh, but it's very and, sad. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's fucked up. Like, yeah, no. It's like, it's so it's sad, all what terrible. can you do it's but laugh? terrible. <laughs> yes, no, we're, we're big on dark sense of humor and, you know, like, laugh, cry, let's laugh. Um, and maybe we'll cry and then we'll laugh some more. It'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, no, it'll go in waves. It'll be really weird. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I had some experiences when I was younger, which meant that I had had PTSD and had been dealing with it for a while and um, and had taken uh, some steps into, I, I can't remember how many years like it would have been at that point, but uh, had a good deal of experience with uh, with healing and recovery kind of under my belt and had, you know, taken steps into intersectional feminism and had been doing a lot of reading. And uh, yes, it was like really like, I think like both feet into the work and uh, and you were assaulted. And it happened to be when you were visiting home uh, during college. Yep. 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 That's and accurate. <laughs> yeah. And um I don't want to like get too into it, you know, because the the purpose of the podcast isn't so much to like 
let's all be triggered together. Um, let's re-traumatize all of us. Like, no, yes, not really. Re-traumatize the listeners, yeah, please. That's really what we're going for. Um, no. Um, well, and also that's not what I want for you. I appreciate um, that. <laughs> but is there like a distance way that you can give like the bare essentials of like this was the situation? Sure. Um, Without like taking yourself. But like going there. into it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. um. It was a acquaintance of a friend, so you know, didn't didn't know the person. Um and yeah, you know, alcohol was involved and yeah, it just uh sucked all around and uh yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to think. I think part of um part of what made my healing easier was the fact that it was someone who I have never seen again and hopefully likely never will see again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's made my job of healing from it a lot easier um, than mm-hmm. I think it is for a lot of people who, who know uh, their attackers. Um, yeah. Yeah. I actually, um, I attribute the, uh, the brief like two weeks stay in a psych ward actually to having to see my abuser every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was, uh, he was ghosting me like before that was a thing. Um, and so he was looking through me like I didn't exist. And so having to, to have that happen, it was an abusive relationship that went on for just under like three years and with repeated uh, with a whole lot of emotional abuse and then repeated uh, sexual uh, assaults and then to see them every day at school um, and then after the relationship ended have them look through me like I didn't exist that was fucked up because that's like oh great like you assaulted me you know for years and then like erased me yes yeah, it was it was messed up. I I think that's that's definitely um uh there there are some things that that I think will probably come up as continuous kind of questions or themes and one of them is like is it harder like if you know them or you don't know them? Like is it harder, you know, to see them again or not see them again or, you know, but um I mean, I don't know if it's a question of harder. I think it's just different. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what I tend to fall on. Yeah, because, I mean, there's there's different challenges with both uh, both situations, I think. Yeah. It would be my answer to that. Uh, but some yeah. people may disagree, which is also okay. Yeah. It's all okay. <laughs> but also not at all. Yeah. <laughs> not so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, um, after that happened, um, you came home and I happened to be there and, um, be able to be present for the immediate aftermath. And what, what other support did you have, um, during like the immediate aftermath of the assault and, uh, and what made a difference for you? Uh, I mean, let's see, I came home slept for what felt like forever um Mm. and then woke up and pretty much immediately told I think you mom 
Um, and I called my two best friends who we've been friends for 20, 20 plus mm-hmm. years um, at that point. And I did also call the friend whose house it had been at. And I wrote a long, emotionally detached, probably Mm -hmm. very terrifying letter to my friend's mother because it was uh, her house. And uh, yeah, so they were not um, ideally supportive. Uh, I think my my friend initially, he was uh, when I called him on the phone. Um, He had what I perceived like a very healthy reaction of like oh my gosh like that's terrible this guy like I'm you know kicking him out like he's gone (laughs) um because he was a he was a house guest yes yes um he was from out of town that's true yeah um and then I I don't know exactly what happened on their end um but a bit of time passed and Mm -hmm. um then his mother was encouraging me to uh, to talk with my attacker, um, mm-hmm. saying things to have like a mediation. Kind yeah, of saying like, thing. "Oh, he's saying that he's so sorry," and you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and very fortunately for me at the time, um, because I had talked with you and with mom, um, I was you know a mess, just crying pretty much constantly. Um, mm-hmm. And thankfully, mom was able to to get on the phone uh, when my friend's mother called and basically say, like, here's the situation as it's been described. It sounds like really fucked up and not okay. And, you know, how could you be asking her to talk to this person right now? That's a terrible idea. Um, And, you know, and I I don't remember... Sorry, I don't remember everything that I said to you in terms mm-hmm. of like, because I remember like feeling like in the moment where I was like, okay, fuck, like this has occurred and I wish that she had never had this experience. Like this is not what I ever wanted for her, but I'm here and this is my chance to make use of what I've gained to hopefully make this moment better for her than it was for me because I didn't have that support when it occurred for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, what, what can I do? What kind of support can I offer? Like, how can I make this slightly less traumatic? <laughs> um, and, uh, and I don't remember everything that I said, um, but I do have like a very clear memory of when that was, being suggested like oh let's have a mediation session and I remember you questioning that and thinking like maybe I should like because because we're both by nature like very empathetic and understanding people and we're really just we were raised in a family like where there was a great focus on communication and it was like let's talk this out let's communicate, let's figure this out. And so if someone's asking for communication, we are predisposed, at least I personally am predisposed to be like, yes, let's communicate. Communication solves problems. And so I felt like you had that kind of feeling like, oh, I should say yes. 
And uh, and I remember very clearly saying, like, if you don't want to, you don't have to. You don't ever have to see that person again if you don't want to. And what she's asking may sound like beneficial or helpful, but it's actually really fucked up because she's asking you to sit down across from the person who assaulted you. Um, that's a re-traumatizing situation and you don't have to enter into it. Don't feel obligated. Yeah. And so I, I remember just being in the position where I was like, give her permission to like to acknowledge her discomfort because you clearly you looked uncomfortable. Well, I mean, yeah, it was hardcore PTSD. Yeah. It was I was shattered. Yeah. Um yeah. as a person. Um so yeah, I think that was extremely helpful at the time. Um and also I mean I think one of the biggest things that I've come to realize through my own process of healing and, you know, looking, kind of walking through the details of what cha- what happened, which I obviously want to hear. Um, but a lot of it for me came down to having been raised and socialized um, as a female mm-hmm. in our society to be very polite um, and to not make a fuss. And even, you know, in, in the aftermath and I was totally wrecked, um, mm-hmm. just, you know, couldn't, <laughs> couldn't process reality. Um, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. maybe reality is not the right word. I couldn't really deal <laughs> with reality. Yeah. Um, and there was still this really strong conditioning response in me of like, oh, if he wants to apologize, I should give him that. Like mm-hmm. I should, give him the opportunity mm-hmm. to, you know, repent, reform, um, yeah, apologize, make amends. Make amends. Um, and it was really helpful for me to have someone right there next to me saying, you don't have to do that. You know, you don't have to engage with this person at all. Um, and I, I do actually remember, I think, uh, I don't remember the exact words, but basically when I, you know, told you initially what had happened, your kind of first words were something along the lines of that is not okay. Like nothing about that is okay or right. You did nothing to deserve that. And I'm sorry. Mm. And it was so clear cut and, and there was a, a force and an energy behind it that really helped penetrate all of my personal doubts and all of that like internal messiness uh, and I found that really helpful. Mm, Just having so someone glad. be like, no. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think that's a really rare thing for people to have, especially, you know, right after something like this happens. It is. And I'm glad that I was there and that I said that. Yeah. I mean, I was incredibly fortunate to have you. Um And especially, you know, I did make the decision. um, It was, I think, about a week or two before I was due to go back to college for my senior year um, in a different part of the country. And I did decide to go back. And I'm really glad about that. Um, But it was really, really helpful to have you and to have just someone who had gone through PTSD, who was so familiar with it and what it does to the mind. Um, And it was, you know, 
life-saving to be able to call you and say like hey I am so angry (laughs) like I'm having thoughts of murdering this person and you know I'm a Buddhist (laughs) like I don't really do anger (laughs) oh yeah that that part's a real trip (laughs) yeah and it was and that's I think part of what I found really challenging in my healing process was um in the the months immediately after you know yes there was this huge breach of boundaries and this personal sense of violation. But what I found really, you know, a little bit more long-term distressing was seeing how it changed myself and my own perception Mm -hmm. of identity. And it really shook me to my core of like, who am I really? You know, when I've been injured, if like I'm having these thoughts of retaliation, you know, am I really the person I thought I was? Yeah, because there there is a sense of of being broken or torn apart, like, and then the question is like, all right, like, if I put myself back together, am I the same person I was before? Mm-hmm. Like, is this the same shape of a being? Am I something else now? Like, and yeah, just oh, just navigating that. It's um, they're really big questions. Oof. They are. They really are. Yeah. Um, but you actually touched on something that um, we, <laughs> when we were doing sound checks, um, you were you were going like, "Can you hear me? Great. Can you see me? I hope not, because my camera is not turned on." <laughs> um, and uh, and if we hadn't covered that, I I would be looking around, kind of spooked right now, um, because you it was like you read something off of my little sheet here because I really wanted to talk about the role of socialization in both of our assaults because some of my um, experiences actually tied into the way that um, specifically women tend to be socialized to be polite, um, to not inconvenience others, and then the various ways that that contributes to sexual assaults when they occur. And, uh, and I think both of our situations, um, you know, like I, I have a number of situations like that I could call upon, but um, specifically the, uh, the molestation and stalking that occurred um, when I was visiting a, a different country. Just a very uncomfortable, um, uh, yeah, I still, I still like get really ugh, just, just knotted up and, and uncomfortable in my body when I talk about it. Because it was uh, a situation, you know, that there would be a lot of uh, victim blaming around it because it was a situation that I could have left. And, you know, that it's it's easy to have a lot of, uh, of shame built up around it, you know, and, and questioning self and like, why why didn't I leave and recognizing that I could have you know, just just walking yourself like as you go through the situation and, you know, taking yourself through it and saying, you know, I could have done this differently. I could have done this differently. Why didn't I do that? If, mm-hmm. if, if, you know, you well, know why, why? Yeah, for me, um, I mean, I don't want to get too much into detail for, you know, risk of. Yeah, I, I have to step back from from that myself. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah, stepped into that a little too strong. Yeah. But, um, well, um, uh, yeah. All right. Do you need anything? Do you need a need a minute? No, I just, I just like kind of like rolled my shoulders. Like I was like physically just sort of like step back from that. Yeah. Um, it's sort but, of. Uh, uh, I think of Harry <laughs> Potter and um, 
in the fifth movie when he's like getting possessed by Voldemort and kind of those like head twitches that he does. I'm like, ah. yeah. Anyway, I'm like, ooh, you've lost old man. <laughs> I feel sorry for you. Yeah. Um. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> also Harry Potter nerds, huge also, Harry, Potter Harry Potter nerds, Potter. huge Star Trek nerds. <laughs> Both of us, yeah. real hard. hard. Sorry about it. <laughs> I'm not also sorry. Also not sorry about it. Sorry, not yeah. sorry. Um, but um, anyway, what you were saying about um, sort of politeness and that that shame that gets wrapped up in um, like, oh my gosh, I, I could have left that situation multiple times. You know, why didn't I? Um, that was really present for me as well. Like, especially, like, right after everything happened as I was yeah. trying to piece it together in my mind and try to form a, a coherent narrative of what happened and why did I do what I did and why did he do what he did and just trying to understand it all. Um, and the part that I had a lot of trouble with was that I repeatedly did, like, I left the situation, like, I went to a different room, like, I... Uh, I went to the bathroom and I thought about locking myself in there and inevitably the guy came back and like, you know, led mm-hmm. me back into um, an isolated situation and it just drove yeah. me crazy. Like, why did I let him do that? You know, why, yeah. why was I so petrified of making a fuss and, you know, I was in a room or not a room. I was in a house full of other people. Like I thought about going and waking them up and asking for help. And I didn't like, why, mm-hmm. why didn't I? And um, after a lot of thought, the conclusion that I came to was that like my priorities were conditioned to be kind of messed up <laughs> and that I prioritized mm-hmm. other people's comfort over my safety exactly and it's again you're reading this off of off of the page i have in front of me yeah it's exactly and it is something that i think a lot of us have to work with and unlearn and unfortunately uh i think it it takes a lot to unlearn that and hopefully for others it won't take such shattering experiences to to start to unwind that social conditioning a little bit yeah and it it is a tricky one um because it is i think it is really uh built into the way that specifically uh women are are socialized i i do want to say it's it's never been mentioned like you know this is entering into like a you know, gendered speech. Uh, both of us are assigned female at birth. I identify as a non-binary woman. Mm-hmm. And I and, identify um, as cisgendered female. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's not intended to be exclusionary. It's just acknowledging that within the patriarchy that people who are assigned female at birth, that there is, you know, socialization, like, and there are issues along with that. And, uh, and trying to socialize women to be, to be polite, to be quiet, to stay out of the way, to get out of the way. Like, shut up, sit and, down. Uh, exactly. Um, you know, in all areas of life. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
And, uh, and yeah, and that, that really does have a very strong impact on absolutely everything. And it can be very hard to dismantle that. And most of that is because it's, it can be very hard to identify that. And it's, it's difficult to have it become visible. Uh, and I'm, I'm really happy that I'm living in the time that I'm living, that it's starting to, to be talked about more and, uh, and really investigated. Yeah, uh, right here I just have written like our comfort and safety is less important than the possibility that we might inconvenience someone mm-hmm. or be impolite. And it gets people killed. Yeah. Um, the fear of being impolite literally is getting people killed and traumatized. It's completely absurd. And I had a similar experiences where there was something that started that I was uncomfortable with, with the, the molestation. And then I had a chance to leave and I didn't. And then we moved to a different location, which was my room. And so I was complicit in that. And there's just this whole thing where, um, you know, and and there were a whole bunch of other just really complex factors um, in terms of being in a different culture where the role of women is, is very different, where... I was concerned and afraid of, yeah, ugh, it's, it's, it's all messy. Um, and I don't know how to articulate it like perfectly, but it was not a good situation that I was in and I had no idea how to extract myself. And then it just kept getting worse and I didn't know exactly how to get out of it, but the choices that I was making weren't amazing, but it was also the situation where the choices that I would have to make to extract myself from the situation uh, at any step along the way, uh, all of them would have been bad for me. It would have been impolite. It would have made a fuss. It might have called attention to me being alone at any point with this man when it was, you know, dark out. And so it would call my my reputation into question. I could have lost my housing. There was, you know, just just based on what that looked like, you know, and, and not taking into account like, well, she was leaving the situation, like, ah, uh, but you know, the fact she was in it at all, like blah blah blah. blah. You know, Which is really fun stuff. Yeah, it's such a, a common uh argument I think that we hear is like well what were you what were you doing you know getting into that situation why were you even in that situation? yeah like why yeah, were you wearing just... a dress yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like are you serious like because dresses are cute and also like um I just didn't expect look at this thing it's adorable <laughs> yeah like look at this it's got polka dots like come on um but no like you know I think it's it's really difficult in that we get a lot of pushback because people, I think, are really uncomfortable with talking about these things and bringing up sort of the the flaws um, of the way I think men are are currently being socialized. Though though it's finally I think starting to change a bit 
in some places, which is, I think, really great. And that's wonderful. But I think it makes people quite uncomfortable to talk about our own experiences of feeling powerless, feeling, you know, shamed. We aren't taught how to get out of situations that are bad. You know, we're, we don't grow up having people say, you know, here's what happens if you get to this point in a situation, like, how do you get out of it? We're not prepped for that, generally speaking. No, not Um, at all. And guys, on the other hand, aren't prepped to hear or recognize discomfort and respect it. And like, so we kind of, I don't know for everyone else, but for for me, the way that I kind of grew up was no means no. And it's kind of expected that if you're in a, a situation where something's happening that, that you don't want, that you're supposed to yell no and run away. Um, and the guy is supposed to, you know, hear you yell no and be like, whoa, yeah. and stop. Oh, no, damn. <laughs> yeah, but I guess not then. <laughs> but the reality um, of the situation is that there are so many smaller moments leading up to that where we don't learn how to navigate those boundaries. Uh, We don't learn how to both ask and give consent in those little small ways so that by the time you're kind of up to this point where it feels like it's a point of no return, you know, there have already been so many boundary breaches that it feels like, oh my gosh, I can't say no now because like I should have said it an hour ago and there's that self-judgment that really comes in which you know for the record you can always say no yeah absolutely (laughs) you know I don't I don't care if you know even if you've done the same thing with the same person before if you're feeling uncomfortable in this moment on this day say no it should be respected doesn't matter which gender on which side we're dealing with Um, anyway and by which you mean any gender. Any gender. Any gender. Any gender. Yeah. Because it can go all ways. I, I just want to clarify, like, in, in terms of uh, the conversation, like, it's a very, like, binary conversation because our culture is binary and mm-hmm. is socializing, like, you know, putting people into the boxes of, like, you're male, you're female, like, we're going to socialize you male, we're going to socialize you female because of your parts. <laughs> it was gross. Um, but, uh, yeah, in, in terms of like the way the world actually works, gender is a spectrum and that's fully respected in terms of the conversation of socialization. It's a binary conversation simply because that's the unfortunate situation with society. I think boundaries are something that regardless of gender, we, we just don't really navigate super well in our culture right now. Um, and we just, we don't learn it. We're not taught. And I think it's something that we need to have more open conversations about starting at much earlier ages. Mm-hmm. Um, and to yeah. kind of take away some of the, the stigma around it. Like it doesn't have to be big and scary. It can be something as simple as like, you know, you're, your little three-year-old like wants to give their friend a hug like well why don't you ask them <laughs> yeah if they say yes exactly. give them a hug if they say no don't give them a hug like yeah it's not rocket science <laughs> Res- respect discomfort yeah. yeah and actually like 100% like yes to everything you were saying and um and something that came up for me was also just the addition that like 
another part of socialization and like the difficulty in in drawing like healthy boundaries and being able to to say no and like even like recognize and acknowledge and act on your own discomfort in these like really challenging situations when they occur is that a huge part of so many of our lives uh, has actually been like a continuous situation where you've been your whole life been learning to disregard your own discomfort. Agreed. Uh, at least, at least that's my experience of being socialized as a woman. One hundred percent agree, and I think that's part of, like, a big part of the issues that we're facing now is that now we have adults who we don't even know how to know when we're uncomfortable. Like how we can't even yeah. admit that to ourselves. How on earth can can yeah. we enforce or the boundary yeah. that like we just <laughs> don't have them? We're like, I I think I'm having a feeling. Oh, it's gone. No wait, it's back. Oh wait, <laughs> like uh, what do we do? <laughs> so feelings, um, we all have them, unless yeah. you're a sociopath, which is also okay. Um, but generally, you know, maybe get that looked at though. Yeah, but you know, maybe um, yeah. But uh, generally, feelings are just information, and it's information that a lot of us have been taught to tune out and disregard, and that's a huge disservice to all of us. Yeah. And I think that's that's, very true. that's true for all genders. I think yeah. whether you've been socialized as female, male, or if you're a lucky individual who grew up with parents who allowed uh, some fluidity in, in raising their kids uh Mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of emotional repression, <laughs> yeah, in the day, but but is becoming much more of a a common kind of thing, like introducing a non gendered um, raising of children. It's, it's exciting, yeah. It's an exciting time. There's a lot of change, and of course, like we're gonna that... we're not gonna always uh, get things right, so to speak, right in quotation marks. <laughs> but mm, I'm sure yeah. there will be plenty of plenty of damage done along the way that we can all be in therapy for you know yeah no we're we're all always going to be in therapy and uh and fucking up our children and you know that will never change yeah no like yeah no like we we every generation does its best to do better than the last and you know and every generation that comes after is like yeah great but i mean how about this and uh and it's been really interesting as i've been getting older and um you know like I mean I'm I'm in my early 30s like I'm not (laughs) fine but um you know but but just getting a little bit of perspective like seeing where there's pushback with the last generation Mm -hmm. like in terms of like what this generation is like let's work on this and uh you know and and every so often you know members of the last generation that you know you thought like well you're one of the good ones like you're not an asshole and then there's pushback in an unexpected place mm-hmm. well um, and it and really think one of those has yeah. been gender yeah yeah because our generation is like yeah let's uh let's hit gender and the binary like really hard and just address this and um you know it's a myth and uh and then the last generation being like what what do you mean it's a myth what <laughs> what like well actually you see science no (laughs) no (laughs) 
the science you speak of. <laughs> well, and it's so ironic because on the one hand, they're like, well, actually, scientifically, there's like two genders. And we're like, actually, science? Actually, scientifically? At no. all? Like, hey, and they're like, but science? No. And they're like, well, we don't like science anymore. It's like, but you liked it two minutes ago when you were using it to defend. Yeah, anyway. when it supported your argument. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> no, it's, um, it's fun. I, I find myself really curious, like, what the next generation is going to do that's going to be, like, better than our generation. Because yeah. I think I, – a trend I think, like, each generation is, like, we're better than the last ones. Like, this is what we're doing, like, you know – to we're we're addressing like these problems and you know blah 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 and like and we're gonna be cool we're gonna be the cool generation that you know like the progress that the next guy is coming in like we're gonna be fine with it because we're we're fine (laughs) like we we got it we're we're woke like (laughs) we got this shit and then the next generation like finds that spot that's like yeah you could do better here and we're like we're not cool anymore like, oh, but that's what <laughs> we're confused yeah. and angry and i wonder what it's gonna be it's gonna us. be something and i don't know what yeah, it is and I'm i really have curious. no idea and that's the no thing idea. like we don't we don't know what our blind spots are until someone points them out and exactly and it gets real messy <laughs> no i um i just uh i just want to destroy capitalism that's uh yeah, yeah that's that's that's, that's my that's dream. My Yuletide wish. <laughs> so I think that would fix a lot of problems. Oh. Yeah. Following the initial sexual assault, you had mentioned earlier that you made the decision to return to college um and was it your senior year that you were returning to it was yes of uh yeah my undergraduate degree yeah so you returned um right into your thesis work and uh and I had mentioned this (laughs) the other day I give you just a huge amount of props for um like just you're an epic badass for being like, nope, we're doing this and going back to school after something like that. And, um, and specifically, um, for the way that you leaned into it, um, in the work that you did. And before I continue on that train of thought, I do want to make like, just perfectly clear, like the props aren't, you know, like good job returning to school. That was the right thing to do. It was the right thing for you. It's not the right thing for everybody. If you had made the decision to not return to school, I would be giving you the same amount of props right now. Be saying like, good job recognizing that was something that you couldn't deal with. Good job not returning to school. You do what you have to do. That's important. And it's all like equally laudable. But what I respect is in just I respect that you return to school. What blows my mind is the way that you leaned into it. So you were super traumatized, uh, had PTSD, went right back into your undergrad thesis and um, in the psych major, which at that school is a pretty heavy experience. It's really raw, really vulnerable, uh, and can really easily 
uh, traipse into an invasive experience at times. Uh, and that just really depends on, uh, on kind of who is kind of heading up the situation. And you had the misfortune to have a professor who did not entirely respect your boundaries. Um, so I am blown away by the work that you decided to do, which was leaning into your trauma and really just owning it. And so I'd, I'd love to hear about that, but I would also be interested to hear how having a professor who had a great deal of power and authority who was supposed to be guiding you through this like raw and vulnerable experience who wasn't respecting boundaries um, when you were in a really tough spot. Yeah, I mean, um, again, like you said, I think everyone is so different. And I think whatever choice individuals make after a trauma is completely right and up to them. Um, for me, I did, I did seriously consider uh, postponing my final year. Um, and the decision to go back was multifaceted. There, there was a lot to it. Um, but for me, it kind of came down to, do I stay at home um, in a place where most of my friends no longer lived? Uh, most of them had moved off and gone to school elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, and like, yes, I would have family nearby. Um, but to me, that at the time would have felt so much more isolating. Um, and to me, it, it was a decision based in, do I want to let this, this person have the power to take this away from me? Yeah, to disrupt um, your life at such a critical yeah. point so completely like feeling like well, yeah they win yeah exactly um and for me at that moment it was like yes I was feeling shattered and broken and was crying all the time and you know flashbacks multiple times a day and it was terrible mm. um but I was also extremely fortunate in that right after it happened I had great family support. I had support from friends via, you know, phone and, mm -hmm. and texting. Um, and I knew that I was going back to a school and friends that were actually surprisingly good at dealing with raw emotions, um, mm -hmm. which is not necessarily the norm everywhere. So that was extremely fortunate. No, it's, it's definitely um, a unique school and a unique experience and setting. Mm -hmm. And I also knew that I was in the psych department there. Um, so I just knew that my chances of processing and feeling supported by the people around me, just by the fact that there would be more people around me at school than if I stayed home, yeah. uh, increased the odds in my favor. <laughs> That's um, true. And and in that environment, they would be, yeah, just really literate um, in the situation of trauma. So knowing mm -hmm. where you were at and hopefully ideally and again, being able to respect yeah. that and, uh, and not fuck it up. Yeah. And not saying that, you know, everyone 
did a great job all the time. Like, you know, I was dealing with, with peers of mine, like some, some of my friends were, you know, even younger than I was at the time. Um, and so a lot of, a lot of my friends weren't even in the psych department. Um, so not everyone, you know, knew how to handle it or knew what to say. Um, but they tried and it meant that when I was, you know, freaking out or having flashbacks, you know, they were there to listen. And that was really helpful. Um, I wasn't necessarily great at explaining what was going on, um, though I did give my roommates, I think, a heads up um, when I moved. That's for the best. <laughs> like, hey, yeah. like, hey, this thing happened a couple of weeks ago. If I'm just like crying all the time, like, it's not you. <laughs> Um, dealing with some shit. But yeah, everyone was... vicious in the sink, I swear to God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Um, but no, I mean, it was, it was an extremely rough time. Yeah, because I, I was, I was living with, you know, several other people um, in a house. And yeah, I just would like hold myself up in my closet like on the floor just like screaming and crying into a pillow you know mm -hmm. like there were days yeah um and in the beginning it was mostly those days um but it was also a really great distraction in that being someplace with my peers I was lucky enough to have some friends who even though they didn't really get get it um they were like you know, we can see you're in pain. What what are we going to do about it? And I was really fortunate to have one of my guy friends, you know, wasn't, wasn't necessarily like I wasn't in a space to talk about it. But his sort of response was, you know what, like, we're going to go out. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. every, maybe not every night, but like, we're going to go out, we're going to go do things like it's going to be fine. Um, and for me, actually, in the, you know, sort of few months initially afterwards, I had PTSD trigger responses to alcohol, um, oh. in that, like, when I drank, I yeah. felt triggered, okay. my nervous system just yeah. like, freaked out, um, whenever I felt that sort of, um, intoxication like, effect. Yeah, that, that little bit of intoxication was like, oh my gosh, I remember this feeling, you know, bad, bad things happened when I feel yeah. this way. And if you're in the midst um, of PTSD, like acute PTSD, like, and, you know, flashbacks are a thing for you, then it is like, ah, my body feels this, thus, this is happening right now, not in the past, this is occurring. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, not good. And it was very, very confusing. Um but also, I felt, I think be, just because of, I had good friends, they were genuinely just good people, and I felt very safe with them. Um, it meant that even, you know, if we were like drinking in our, in our yard or at our house, and suddenly this feeling would come up, and I would be like, oh my gosh, I'm really triggered. Like, I remember just sitting at our picnic table, like, just suddenly started crying, mm. and like, I think someone, you know, like, patted me on the back and, like, asked if I was okay. And I was like, yep. Like, Stellar. Like, I'm just, 
yeah just like no like there's nothing you can do like it's it's okay just like yeah like you guys just like keep keep doing your thing like I'll be okay and you know it it passed um in a few minutes and I was able to kind of rejoin Um, reorient yourself yeah and it was really um yeah, that was a difficult trigger to overcome. Mm-hmm. Um, but just because I was in college and drinking was, you know, a, a thing at that time. Um, and again, it was something that I really felt strongly about reclaiming, which is actually pretty ironic because I don't really drink much. <laughs> um, it's not really that important to me <laughs> in my life. But at that time, me it was either, like, fuck I, you, no. Yeah, no, I totally understand. <laughs> like, especially because like, if if it's not, you know, because I like, I know you, you're my sister, you're not like, yeah, like, let's go to keggers. <laughs> it's, you yeah, know, no. you were never a big drinker. <laughs> none of us were like, you know, but, um, but more like in terms of I'd like to be able to like hang out with my friends and have a fucking beer or like I want to yeah, like relax, like- kick back, like have a hard cider. And yeah, like having that taken away because of someone else's actions is like, no, screw that. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, no, the, the thinking was very much like you don't get to claim this. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of my attitude towards school as well. Um of like, no, like you do not get to claim my life. You are a person I met once. Like, no, <laughs> like, fuck you. Yeah. Um, and you don't get to claim anything. <laughs> yeah. Like you no. like, uh-uh. um, so yeah. And eventually that trigger kind of, I think just with exposure got easier, mm-hmm. um, which was good because <laughs> yeah senior year of college you know need I say more yeah thesis. Um, I need a fucking beer <laughs> yeah um and actually so I was very lucky as well and that like yes I had one teacher in particular who was um say what you mean use whatever words you want to use <laughs> I mean the term that came to mind was asshat great um, I love but, that oh I honestly yeah. that's one of my favorites it's underused thank you yeah. Um, and again, like, I don't think that he's a bad person underneath it all. But I do think that the way he handled his class, um, particularly being in the psychology department, was extremely inappropriate. Um, and yes, many, many feelings about that. But for the most part, I had amazing teachers. They truly went e- above and beyond. Um and I did actually end up graduating a year and a half late. So just side note, yes, I did go back to school immediately, but I still had to take a bunch of incompletes. It was hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was fortunate enough to be at a school where they were very understanding um, for the most part and, you know, was able to do the, the paperwork that I needed to do Um up front and say like hey this is going to be an issue yeah (laughs) let's let's not deal with it when it's a disaster because surprise it's already a disaster yeah yeah (laughs) um and that saved my butt but um but yeah most of my teachers were absolutely amazing um I had one where we um in class we would we would start this class with just a few minutes of like quiet reflection or meditation um, and I could not meditate. It was this weird, 
like, I don't know what the science behind it was, but anytime I sat and tried to still my mind um, or just concentrate on my breathing, I would just start having flashbacks. Mm. And it was horrible because I'd be sitting in this room with like a bunch of students and we're all getting ready to have a great class. And I'm just there like freaking out in my head. Um, Mm. And I talked to this teacher about it one-on-one and you know, I was just like, I'm really struggling. I'm like, I really want to do well in this class. And I just like, I, I can't seem to do this. This is what keeps happening. And her response was so simple. It was like, oh, well then don't do it. Yeah. Thank you. It's okay for you to sit there and to look around and to think about something else. Like, great. Focus on something else. That's totally fine. Awesome. (laughs) And it's like, oh my God. I didn't 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 know that was an option. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, So yeah, as you can see, I tend to give authority figures a little bit more power than uh, I perhaps should. (laughs) Well, that's, we're we're conditioned to do that, to accept that the people who are placed in, um, in positions of authority are trustworthy, and that we should accept what they say. And uh, yeah, just to, just accept their authority and accept what they're teaching us and accepting, you know, that like what they're asking us to do must be in our best interest. Mm-hmm. And that that relates to uh, the root of um, of all my trauma, which was an emotionally abusive teacher that was bullying me in second grade um, to such a degree that I had to be removed from her class. Uh, and apparently this was uh, a pattern of behavior with her um, where every year she would pick one boy and one girl and just bully the hell out of them. And uh, and I don't know if that was just her psychology um, or like that that was like her like messed up abusive need to do that or if it was like a method of controlling the class to focus um, class ridicule on those individuals in order to maintain control. I'm not sure. Um, but the the class was a part of it. So the other students were also encouraged to ridicule them um, and demean the, those students. I don't remember. Yeesh. I don't remember who the boy was. Um, I was just trying to get through. Um, but it messed me up pretty badly. And ultimately, like, and it wasn't, um, it wasn't recognized as abusive. Even though the term like, oh, yeah, she's bullying her, it wasn't termed like this teacher is acting in an an abusive way, like where the teacher wasn't hitting me or molesting me. Therefore, the behavior wasn't seeing or identified as abusive. However, I did have to go to therapy. And that was tied to like, oh, she had this experience with this teacher, so she has to go to therapy. And the connection just was never made that I had experienced what was technically child abuse. And people who experience child abuse, whether it's emotional abuse, whether it's physical abuse or sexual abuse, they're far more likely to be abused later in life because it's a pattern of behavior um, that is introduced psychologically. And so you are much more ready to accept it um, or excuse it or not identify it or or fall into line with it when uh, someone 
appears later on in your life who is an abuser um because it's it's a pattern of behavior and so and it feels familiar yeah so i i was conditioned to accept abusive behavior um especially because it came from an authority figure when i was young so i was conditioned to believe that i was shit and that people who treated me shittily well of course that was acceptable because i was shit and uh you know that doesn't doesn't really set you up in an ideal fashion for healthy relationships later on uh and it makes it much more likely that people who are basically like predators um who are abusers who are you know whether consciously or subconsciously seeking out someone who will accept that behavior they'll target you they'll identify you um as ideal prey and uh is that dark yes it's fucking dark and is it real yeah it's fucking real um yeah and uh and so those you know i i really attribute um my acceptance of of abusive behavior in a number of relationships and interactions um to the conditioning that i experienced as a child from that teacher had a really interesting experience with a meditation workshop um you may as you're listening if you you may be like what fucking kind of college is this um, <laughs> but, um i realized that we didn't like explain or give an intro to like yeah like you know meditation in class and like, hey um <laughs> but um but Yes, meditation in class. Um, And so I was doing one of the weekend workshops for meditation. And you have to be present for an evening session on Friday and then all of Saturday and then um, all of Sunday. But you have to be there for every day. And if you're not there for every day of that workshop, then you don't get the credit. You have to show up. You have to remain there you have to be present and otherwise it's just nope because you know you got three days like you can't miss one of them it's you know kind of a kind of a thing um yeah I mean it is a whole credit for three days which is yeah it was it was a great opportunity and I had my path like really just uh because I was I was returning to school and finishing my degree and uh, and so I had two years at this school to complete my degree and uh, and had a limited amount of time. And I had to fit, you know, a very exact number of credits into into that in order to to meet the requirement for earning my degree. And so I needed that credit. There was no, you know, well, oh, well, like I'll, you know, fit something in one of the other, you know, years that I'm here. It was like, no, like, and it was my senior year. I think it might've been my last semester as well. And I absolutely 100% needed that credit. And in the terms that it had been explained to me, I needed to be present for all three days. And I had the deep misfortune of, um, of this workshop uh, aligning with a street fair that was literally right outside the window. And so we were maybe like, I think it was like the second floor. 
of the building that the meditation room was in. And then the street fair was right outside. And uh, and it was bands playing, you know, like sound equipment was set up, like amplifiers. You had, um, you know, people on microphones, like, and just right outside, drums, um, a whole crowd, lots of noise. So for everybody else, like all the um, all the neurotypical people who were trying to meditate, it was it was kind of like a funny, just sort of like, huh, well, this this works into you know like the workshop experience perfectly because you know it just demonstrates that you you can't always control your environment and sometimes you just have to you know accept the the noise or whatever you know distractions are, are coming in from you know externally and you just uh, you just have to to work through them or just accept them or integrate them and for someone with PTSD uh I can't integrate them uh I had uh I had a major PTSD uh situation I, I, and I, I didn't expect it. Um, I, I have sometimes in the past, like in certain respects, like I do, I do have some sensory kind of integration trouble. And I don't know if that is, how much of that is separate from the PTSD and how much of that is like actually a part of the PTSD. I have no idea, but things do get just sensory speaking, like overwhelming. And I get overwhelmed and and just overloaded sometimes and I found myself in a situation where in the terms that had been presented to me I could not leave I could not leave the situation and I had to sit there in an overload situation being asked to integrate it when I was not capable of integrating it so I had just cacophonous uh, noise uh, surrounding me and and it was like a multi-day fair. And so it started up that evening for that initial you know meeting for the for the first part of the workshop. and then the entire next day, um, that Saturday, do you do you remember how many hours the Saturday sessions were of that? I think they usually went from like nine to six yeah. with like a break for lunch, like an how hour. How long how long is hour that? Um three. <laughs> <laughs> um that's what, seven hours or so? Mm. Six or seven? I have dyscalculia. You no, can tell me not, any number and I'll it. believe that's you. That's not at all right. <laughs> Wait, three, three plus six is, no, that's nine minus one is like eight. Okay. That sounds about right. <laughs> you can edit this part. I won't. I'm evil. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to make a joke about our school and, and math, but la, um, la, la, I won't. La. <laughs> um... <laughs> yeah, but uh yeah, for, you know, like uh we think, you know, fingers crossed like 8 hours of um uh <laughs> maybe seven and a half. I'm not yeah. sure, but um and also I just I straight up cannot remember what time it started. So that can also be a part of um it's in the yeah, morning. Is it 8:30 and 9:30? I don't know. I think it depends on the day. Yeah. It felt atrocious. And, and I don't, but I'm not an early morning person anyway. But well, and when you're a college student on a Saturday morning, I like no, yeah. Just just the worst. Um 
It might have been 830. You yeah. might be right. I had, I had to commute, so I remember it just being awful. Oh, Because yeah, yeah. I lived the next town That's over, so I had to, like, drive, like, something like 30, 40 minutes to get there at an atrocious Ooh. hour. It was gross. It was gross. At least they serve you breakfast? Yes. I I do remember at least one of those workshops missing the breakfast, though. Yeah. Oh. It was bound to happen. It was it was me. You know. Yeah. Me at 8.30 or 9.30 is probably not on time. Sure. Um. <laughs> It was probably somewhere else. It was like really awkward, especially for like a meditation workshop. Oh, it's great. Walking like in there. Late, yeah. And you have to like, wade through like, <laughs> like the door is open and it's like a thunderclap. It's like, excuse me, excuse me. And of course the only space left is like in the back, like opposite corner yeah, of the room. And you're like, it doesn't yeah. matter what you wore, but your shoes are now made of cast iron. <laughs> you're just like clomp, clomp, clomp. And somehow clomp. your pants yeah. have like chains <laughs> from like the early 2000s that weren't there all before. Your, all your yeah. keys are like jingle, 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 jingle. I'm late. Fuck everyone. <laughs> jingle, jingle. And you like drop your notebook and your pen on someone. <laughs> Like, I realize you're all working towards enlightenment right now, but giant fuck you to everyone. Because <laughs> I needed those five extra minutes of sleep. It mattered. <laughs> it's how we all feel. Uh, more, more often than not, so, it was actually, like, that was my experience walking into, like, almost every class if of like certain classrooms because they start say. with meditation so like me just being chronically yes, late to certain classes and being like you have this and class at 8 30 in the morning silent. and you start with meditation what the fuck did you think was gonna happen <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be me walking no, in like yeah. this every single time <laughs> and it's always just dead silence yeah. And, like, you know that other people probably aren't judging you, but, like, it feels oh, like... Oh, judging, judging, judging. They're just silent judging, silent judgment. judging. Yeah, no, like, I'm meditating on yeah. my judging of you. Like, like, I know you're not, but that's what I feel. Yeah. And, oh, my favorite is, like, there's no meditation cushion. <laughs> there's no yeah. room in the circle. Well, when I, like, yeah. Just sit when down I on the always cold started floor. trying to do... <laughs> Late. <laughs> Well, well, and then you're like, you have the option of, oh, I could get a meditation cushion or like another desk, yeah. which or, is more noise, and like make more <laughs> noise, and then like, <laughs> like ask people who are meditating to like make. Work. I'll open this ancient <laughs> cabinet, like, and, like boom. <laughs> fuck my face. And of course, like, like you drop Jesus. all of them. Yeah, yeah. A uh, little meditation yeah, humor, yeah, lighten, yeah. lighten the mood a little. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's always like dead silent. I started trying to like leave cushions or like desks available closest to the door. Um, but like it took me, I think, three years to figure that out. Like, how about I not be that asshole who like takes the desk right by the door? Yeah, and like makes because, someone like, walk up. Someone will be late. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's yeah. very kind of like, you. Someone will always be late, but someone would always take it inevitably. So. You know, no. I tried. I tried. Um, uh, what were we, we were talking, talking about? about um, this like weird PTSD experience I had at the meditation workshop. Right, right. Um, so it was eight hours of being subjected to cacophonous noise and sensory overload, and believing that I had that I was in a situation that I was not allowed to leave, which in and of itself is triggering. N- believing that you yeah, don't 
that you're not allowed to leave, that you have to stay, that you are uncomfortable, like past the point of uncomfortable into something else, like where you are in crisis and you are not allowed to leave. Cults. Cults. What? What? Sorry. Sorry. Cults. Cults? Oh, <laughs> thing. okay. Yeah. That's one of oh, their things. Okay. Is <laughs> like making you feel like you're not able to leave. Oh, that, that part. Yes. No, that's, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. True story. Yeah. That's a thing. true story. Yeah, just just throwing that out there. Anyway. Um, <laughs> um but uh but yeah, and it was just like uh and that that came truthfully like that that part came like not from you know anyone who was facilitating the workshop, like that came purely in terms of the academic requirements where I felt that I was required to be there and I had to stay simply because of what was required to get the credit. I knew that I had to be there and I had to graduate and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I hadn't fully explored that. And it wasn't until I think the end of um, that Saturday of like the eight hours that I was subjected to cacophonous, like sensory overload, PTSD, happy, fun time trigger meditation that I went home and I was talking to my partner and really just going over like, I have to go back tomorrow. I don't think this street fair like is going to be done. I'm not positive. Like, I don't think I can do this. I need this credit. I don't know what to do. I've like, I, you know, and just really like just, just through talking through it really just came to realize like how ridiculous it was that I was subjecting myself to this um like that I wasn't looking at it in terms of being a disability issue and and identifying things in terms of disability and then advocating for myself appropriately has been just like a huge journey over you know the course of my life and I was uh really only able to finish college because of the work that I had done, um, in respect to that. And so really kind of looking at it then I was like, wait, this is a disability issue. Like I'm not capable of being in that room as it is right now. That is a situation that is detrimental to my health. I am absolutely allowed to leave that situation and expecting myself to be able to sit there with a bunch of neurotypical people where it's just noise that they can ignore that isn't hurting them um, or causing like irreparable psychological damage. Um, that's just not appropriate. I absolutely need to say something. And of course, when I went back on Sunday, the street fair had ended. I was just like fucked up already. Like, and so I, I came in and I was like, I'm gonna advocate for myself. It is quiet again. All right. <laughs> um, I am ready to fight. Um, never, never mind. I'm just gonna sit here and meditate instead. <laughs> um, I'm gonna sit here and think about all the things I would have done. Yeah, um, you know, or not think because you're just gonna label label your thoughts thinking, yeah. thinking, let it go, thinking, let it go. You're gonna recognize that you're thinking. thinking. Let it go. My thoughts are a cloud. I'm a mountain, but that's imagery. Let it go. Oh, I heard, I heard, I heard the one of like your thoughts are bubbles that you touch with a with a feather Boop. and they Boop. pop. <laughs> Boop, boop, but then you get distracted by popping bubbles. Let go. So, yeah. yeah. All right. More, more meditation humor. Anyway. Yeah. 
But uh, so having that experience was incredibly important in that I recognized uh, that I was staying in a situation that was detrimental to my health and that it was a disability issue. And considering I had, I was already on the books with the school as having a disability and that I had accommodations already in place. I was very careful about that and, um, and had been working on that the whole way through, you know, it was, it was too late by the time I had that realization. Uh, and unfortunately the damage was already done and it, really surprised me the damage that it did. Um, I had to take a number of days off of school. So all my other classes, um, you know, I suffered. Um, I think it it was maybe like two to three days that I was not able to leave the house um, because it had such a severe effect on my nervous system. Um, so just being bombarded with noise and in a situation where I believed, you know, whether it was true or not, where I believed that I was not allowed to leave, I was, I was totally fucked up. I was, I, I was a wreck, just like nerves frayed. Uh, and I just couldn't do anything. I couldn't leave the house. I, you know, was just bundled up in blankets and it was just entirely about like, you know, and, and thankfully like, you know, the disability office, like, you know, my professors, like they were all very understanding, like in, you know, when I put it in the terms that it was, which was this is a disability issue. I had this very unfortunate experience. It's not anybody's fault. It was just that was, you know, the workshop happened to be during a street fair that was right outside the window. That blows. (laughs) Like that's not on anybody necessarily. Like that just sucks. Um, and it just sucks that I had PTSD that, um, that did not do well with that because that was, uh, to my nervous system, it registered as an assault. And so it took a lot for me to recoup from that. Like I, I had to do a lot of self-care in order to come back to school again. And my PTSD symptoms were not good. I was I was in a worse state than I had been for many years and uh it was it was pretty bad it uh it really affected my ability to function uh during during that last uh that last year um and it you know I have I have learning disabilities um and academic settings tend to um to trigger memories of um or you know to just trigger me in uh, in terms of um abuses that were suffered in the the educational system. Um, so it was already bad, and then it got way worse, uh, and I was just kind of a train wreck. And so that's, uh, that's a story that I pretty much share just in terms of being able to step outside yourself and your, your situation and, uh, and really asking yourself, like, is this really a situation that I'm not able to leave? Because when I kind of processed it with my partner and and later was really looking at it and was like, no, there's like a number of things I could have done. I could have done, I, I could have gone up to one of like the facilitators, um, you know, somebody in charge and said like, hey, you know, uh, I have PTSD. I have, you know, some issues with processing like some sensory stuff. This is extremely difficult for me. It's not a matter of it being distracting. It's a matter of it being detrimental to my health. 
I can't be in this room. Do you have another room that isn't as loud? I know that there's a basement to this building. Can I go down to a quieter room in the basement? And I can still participate in the workshop and you can summon me for the group parts of this, but I will sit away from, you know, this thunderous booming noise that's going outside this window. Um, And that way I can continue to participate, but it's a disability accommodation. And I wish I had had the wherewithal to, to have that realization in the moment, but I didn't. Um, well, I think that's something that we, you know, we learn by going through it, though. Exactly. Um, and, you know, if it happens again, you know, I think exposure kind of helps us plan ahead for next time. Like, okay, what what could I have done to help myself, to be kind to myself in that situation? Yeah. And now you have that information exactly for next that was time. <laughs> that was definitely a lesson learned and it was a lesson hard learned and truthfully like I share it in the hopes that it means that somebody else doesn't have to learn that lesson the hard way that it gives them a story that they can refer to if they're ever in a situation and they can go is it true that I can't leave this situation like is there a way that I can change this you know or or, or just rethink the situation and not and not just accept what they've told themselves, what someone else has told them. And I remember talking to you um, during all this happening and you had mentioned, I actually had problems with PTSD and meditation. And one of the meditation instructors did say that some people with PTSD do actually find that they have trouble with certain kinds of meditation being triggering, that that's a, a real hurdle for them. And I remember hearing that from you was really helpful. Yeah. Did you, have you come across any other research or anything else like that? Um, that? I haven't come across any research. Um, I haven't specifically looked for it. It is a, a oddly specific yeah. thing. So I don't, I don't know if there have been any studies specifically done on meditation and PTSD. Yeah. Uh, maybe there have, that would be very yeah. cool. I do know that, like, yes, for, for me, it was very challenging, um, particularly because I already had a meditation practice mm-hmm. uh, before I was assaulted. And so before I had PTSD, I had, you know, meditated uh, quite a lot. And suddenly being unable to do that um, was really jarring and frustrating. Um and just kind of added to that feeling of brokenness. There's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with my mind. I can't mm-hmm. do this thing that I could do before. Um, oh, and that's that's a very important and, thing. And to have it also feel like it was being taken away from you. And especially since I find meditation a very big aspect of self-care, um, it did really feel like, oh my gosh, this is this thing I use to care for myself all of a sudden now is is hurting me. Um, but the nice thing is it did change and eventually that effect went away. Um, so I, I'm guessing just through time I'm glad. and healing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I would definitely be interested in yeah, me if they do any studies or if anyone knows of any, yeah. let me know. Right in. Let me know. Uh, yeah. But, um, your, your story, it reminded me of, um, 
earlier we were talking about uh, my thesis and that that one teacher in particular who um, I had difficulties with during my senior year. And um, I had an experience that felt actually very empowering for me. And I ended up uh, writing about it uh, in the thesis that I actually uh, turned in to this teacher. <laughs> um, and it was not an exceptional day in really any any way, um, but because of the nature of of the school and the class um, and being in the psychology department, uh, our classes tended to be very uh, emotionally raw and potentially triggering. Um, and it meant that I, I was sitting in this class, which I had been having trouble with all, all year, all semester. Um, and it I get kind of similar to what you were describing was that feeling of, I have to be here to graduate. I have to sit here in this class with these people, yeah. you know, being open to this conversation that I don't want to yeah. be in, that I don't feel safe being in with this teacher that I don't feel safe yeah. with. Ignore um, me. And I, yeah. And again, not like physically unsafe, but more like, um, he wasn't holding appropriate uh, boundaries with the group. Like he wasn't holding the container for really challenging discussions in a way that made me feel safe. Mm -hmm. um, so it felt very unsafe at a time when I already was just feeling unsafe all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then not, then that feeling of the authority figure, not having my back, not, um, not being able or willing, I don't know, uh, to, to hold appropriate boundaries was, yeah, it just felt horrible. Um, and it was very much this, this feeling of, I actually, you know, really like all of the people who were in the class, but it was kind of confronting the issue of choice, uh, when it comes to intimacy and choosing how much uh, we divulge and to whom. Mm -hmm. um, and in that class setting, it felt like in order to get a good grade and pass um, from this teacher, I had to share more than I was comfortable with. And it also meant that like I had to sit there and listen to a lot of people sharing really emotional stuff that I like just wasn't okay with. Um, and it happened that I just sat there and I was getting madder and madder, um, just more and more angry, like silently fuming throughout the first half of this class, which was three hours long. Um, and then we took a, a break an hour and a half in and I was, you know, that mixture of angry and traumatized where I was like, I am going to just break and do my own pieces six different and kinds I, of fucked up right now yeah i was like i don't so many feelings yeah. um, feelings. um i have to, yeah just like i have to get out of here um and so when everyone left i left um and just went behind a fence and just like broke down crying um like kneeling in the gravel and dirt mm. <laughs> like behind the green and just like lost my shit um and 
it was kind of a, a turning point for me though, in that, in that moment, sort of my, my internal goody two shoes was like, you have to go back. Like break is only, you know, 10 minutes or whatever. Like you have to, you have to go back to class now. Like it's time. time. To go. We have to follow um, the rules. Yeah. Like I have to go sit and listen to more of this yeah. bullshit um, and get like, you know, more and more distressed. <laughs> um, and instead I texted a friend. It was one of my roommates at the time and he came and found me and I cried all over him. <laughs> um, and it was really helpful in that moment because just this friend, again, mm-hmm. like didn't really understand what was going on. I probably didn't do a great job articulating why I was crying all over him, but it was just like, Oh my God, girl crying. What? <laughs> Um, like, well, what do I do? There. I'll just be here. <laughs> I'll just, I'll be here and listen. Um, and I think he just like asked me like, what did I need? And in that moment, like there was that light bulb of, I need to not yeah, go back. I need to not be to here right now. Yeah. I need to like, I don't want to be there. Um, which for me, I'm kind of a hardcore rule follower and, you know, not all the time, but it was always in, a, a yeah, sticking school. point for you. I remember you talking about that. Yeah. yeah. Like, I must follow the rules. It's like this weird compulsion. I've um, always found that really and interesting, and I've always wondered, like, where that came from. Not yeah. a clue. I also think it's really weird. Because <laughs> um, with anything, like, if it, if it comes up against my morals of, like, you're hurting that person or, you know, anything, I'm like, fuck you, no, like... <laughs> Like morals win over everything, um, mm-hmm. because Star Trek, yay. yay. <laughs> um, but yeah, if it's not like coming directly up against like yeah. human rights or something, I'm like, no, I must follow the rules, mm-hmm. um, zombie. But yeah, I didn't go back to the class. Um, I made the decision to just not go mm-hmm. back, and all of my stuff was there. Oh, wow. Okay. Um. Yeah, all of, like my bag was in the class and I was like, you know, my friend was like, like, what do you need? Like, what can we do? And I was like, I like, where, where are you going? Like, what are you doing? And he was like, oh, I'm going to this, this thing. And it was like on campus. And I was like, I'm going to go to that. I was invited to that. And I said, I couldn't go because I have class and I'm not going back to that class. So I'm going to go. Um, and like, for me, like, again, I don't recommend cutting class. I don't think I've ever done it before if I wasn't, like, sick or something. Um, but in that moment, well, like, Well, it's not that cutting was class if you're I'll sick. Care. And basically, you were sick. Yeah. You have PTSD. Yeah. You couldn't go back to the yeah. class. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but in that moment, it felt like this really huge thing of, like, no. In this moment, I'm going to stand up for myself. I'm going to say, like no, I'm not putting myself in this situation anymore. I get to decide who I'm in relationship with. And I did not choose these people in this class. And yeah. I did not choose this or teacher. Or the parameters like, that are, are being set for this conversation. Yeah. Like these are things that I did not agree to. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not going back. Good for you. Um, yeah. And it felt <laughs> amazing, yeah. actually. I like, um, I feel amazing just listening to that story. I'm like, yeah, fuck that. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was just the strangest thing and really awkward because, you know, 
I showed up to this dinner or something or other and everyone was like, oh, we thought you couldn't make it. And I was like, still sort of sniffling, like not really like great conversationalist. I'm just like, yeah, no, I'm, um, yeah, here I am. <laughs> like at no explanation. Like I'm just, yeah, no, uh, yeah. um, I have to go in an hour and a half to get my bag. They <laughs> left in glass. Um, and my friend actually, he tried to go and get it for me. And I think, I don't remember what had happened. He said like class was already in session or mm. something. <laughs> Fair enough. He wasn't going to go like bust into a class. Yeah. Well, like a really intense psych class. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it would have brought up way more questions for people. Yes. To have but... like a random person just sort of like, um, she... I'm going to oh, take her stuff. Know, her stuff's here. Like some random person comes in, just like doesn't say anything, takes your stuff. Just like, just like, was she hit by a bus? What, what happened? What happened? We Sasquatch don't know. got her. Um, yeah. Oh, Campus Sasquatch. Been waiting oh, for that. Shit. Yeah. Just one every semester. Um, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, at the end of, I kind of kept an eye on the time. And then at the end, um, when the class was letting out, I just quietly like, went in the door as people were leaving, picked up my stuff, like got my notebook. And I think the teacher tried to like mm-hmm. talk to me or, or something, or like, I think a fellow student like asked if I was okay. And I was like, mm-hmm. Stellar. Yep. And, and it was just sort of like, yeah, no, we're not going to talk about yeah. this because I don't trust you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's, that's a hell of a realization and very like important way to articulate it. I don't trust you. Yeah. It's okay to not trust well, everybody. Yeah. Well, and of course the irony was that later during like an oral exam in front of the whole class, he tried to get me to talk through a PTSD trigger um, um. while in class, which is again, like that feeling of, I don't trust mm-hmm. you. I feel like that's pretty, pretty, yeah. uh, validated at that point um but um but yeah for the most part great teachers um just not him yeah yeah and also um it helped that as far as going back to school um we did have free counseling available on like a weekly Mm, basis if you signed up and so I did six months of that for free which was great also I feel sort of sort of happy it's sort of bad for the person who got me as a a client because on the one hand graduate psych student you know gets the opportunity to work with someone for free Mm -hmm. like you get ptsd it's fresh it's raw like you know on the one hand ooh, great experience on the other oh my god what if i fuck it up a therapist (laughs) here you go like here you go deep end all in go ahead yeah no, but they were they were great and um yeah, it was a very it was a very mixed time. Yeah. In that there were a lot of highs, a lot of lows. Um but I, I feel really good about my decision to go back cuz if I hadn't, there would have been just a lot of lows. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been um, really isolating yeah. and it like I I won't get into it, but it would have been a really bad situation that ultimately just was like even more detrimental to your health. I think it it was the right decision for you given all the factors. Yeah. 
And again, that's not going to be the case with everyone. If you have good support, you know, go where your support is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And for me, that was really powerful. And I think it actually made a lot of my relationships stronger. Um, it made some of them break um, in the case of individuals who were yeah. not supportive where they should have been. Yeah. But that was also really good information for me to know. Yeah. Chips are down. Yeah. So your thesis was calling upon your experiences with trauma really directly and owning it in a way that I have a lot of respect for. Um, Are you able to talk a little bit about your thesis work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, It was, I think, like five years ago. Um, So it's been been a a a while. It's a mean thing to ask. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, right. Like that, that thing that, that thing I did. That I so <laughs> then like blocked out because it, like... it sucked. <laughs> yeah, because it's so much work. Well, and you um, add like PTSD, like in sexual assault into the oh factor. God. It's like how to make your thesis just blow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those things for deciding on a topic. I was like, oh my gosh, do I really <laughs> want to do this? Like, why am I doing this to myself? And Honestly, to me, like in choosing the topic, it was like, this is on my mind so much right now. Like, I don't think I could write a thesis on anything else and yeah, stay focused. Well, it was the authenticity um, of the whole thing that I have a lot of respect for because it was you just like, this is what's happening and this is what I'm doing. And me not like just owning that would be inauthentic. And yeah. You just, yeah. you just went for it. And I think it really helped my process as well, because obviously there was a lot of research involved. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just me, you know, typing out like, this is my feelings. <laughs> and, you know, like, <laughs> you can't do that for like 20 pages or however Oh, you can. It is. It is. It is. Just, 30 pages. Just the worst. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, there, there was a lot of research involved, um, which for me, you know, I, I like to think I'm a pretty logical person. Um, mm-hmm. I like I like research. It helps me feel like I understand things to have statistics um, attached to them. It's a frame of reference. And so I, yeah, like, is my experience typical? Is it not? You know, where do I fall on this yeah, spectrum? That matters to um, me. How am I dealing with things? What does the road ahead look like? Which growing or um, having you there as a as a resource was amazing for that thank you you. know being able to call you and be like oh my gosh I'm stressed out am I gonna be this shattered shell of a human always and you being like no (laughs) (laughs) like no you're going to be rebuilt you will be better faster stronger (laughs) and it's like oh okay cool great talking Um, to you which (laughs) also hi to mom (laughs) yeah like and all of that is true um though at the moment uh, at that time, it did did not feel it possible. Um, but yes, so as far as the thesis, um, the research aspect I found really helpful. Um, let's see, I'm just kind of skimming it. Talked a lot about emotional regulation, uh, self-regulation. I would actually love to, um, when I was starting to reread it just a little bit again, um, uh, or maybe I was reading something else. Sorry. Um, 
Uh, (laughs) (laughs) really gripped your attention did it (laughs) um no it was (laughs) i started reading it and then i got bored and read something else like thanks i mean i realize trauma isn't like the most fun thing to talk about but like really thanks thanks for that (laughs) anytime um uh there was uh, there was just like something that i was reading that um that was clarifying um, the terminology of emotional self-regulation and like what that means. That was oh, me. Great. That was my thesis. Awesome. See, I was reading it. <laughs> yeah, I like the story. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I found that really helpful. And especially if someone doesn't have a background in psychology um, or just, you know, do research you know on this sort of stuff the same way that we might um if you could clarify what you mean by self-regulation that would be amazing um it has a lot to do with emotional intelligence um so that basically has to do with are we able to perceive our own emotions and the emotions of others can we understand them um can we manage them in ourselves as they come up um yeah and being able to, to see what am I feeling? How is it affecting me? Um, so self-regulation is that whole process of identifying and managing. I don't want to say necessarily controlling, mm-hmm. but like being able to know what to do with the emotions that are coming yeah. up in ourselves. Um, and obviously it's yeah. a very important thing to be able to do. Yeah. And that is, that makes sense. Society. That is reliant. <laughs> like you wouldn't be able to manage it if you aren't able to identify it in yourself uh, yeah, that that makes sense. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's also helpful. Um, so oftentimes people who have good emotional self-regulation tend to have a high degree of emotional intelligence for others as well. Um, and so those things are very much related to relationships. And by you that know, you mean um, yeah. identifying emotional states in others or being able to be empathetic or recognize. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. And again, it's, you know, obviously we all have different uh, levels of skill at that. None of us, uh, I assume, are mind readers. Um, That's an assumption. Nor <laughs> should that, yeah, I know, right? Nor should that be expected of anyone. <laughs> um, and a lot of us know, do tend to expect it uh, without realizing that uh, of, of that can be a problem. Yeah. Yeah, like I'm being so clear. Like I'm crying. Yes, but you also look angry. <laughs> like, you know, like, and all I'm hearing is, well, how could that person do that thing at the checkout counter? And it's like, I, I need more here. Like, what is this really about? Yeah, you know, um, but yeah, I think um, being able to be aware of it in ourselves helps us be able to recognize it in others. Um, so ideally, we would all be doing this personal work and able to recognize and manage our own emotions. Um, but that doesn't necessarily happen. I like this ideal world you're painting for me. <laughs> I know, right? We're all responsible for our own emotions and actions. That's um, great. Tell me another one. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, yeah, so I'm trying to... What was your question? <laughs> um, well, you were starting to tell me about it, and then I was like, "Hang on, press pause. Oh, the, tell me more about emotional regulation." Yeah, so continue. Yeah, the process of writing it. Um, well, and also like what yeah, it was, so, yeah, like what you explored. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the general 
general layout of it was that there was a personal element of, um, you know, working through my own trauma. And the general topic was when we're healing from trauma, how do you work with and balance the roles of self-care and relationships, mm-hmm. um, like social relationships. Um, and that's not just romantic, that includes friendships and community. And I think it really is about having both. Um, I think a lot of people tend to weigh in on one side or the other as far as where their comfort lies of if you're you know, more extroverted, you're probably like, no, I need to be around people to heal. You know, I, I need them. And if you're more of an introvert, you might be like, no, get everyone out. I just need to deal with this on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, for me, I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. But I think that both are valuable and necessary as long as they're done in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. When you mentioned introverts, which I myself am, like, the term blanket burrito came up for me. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and it's, it's something that actually uh, came up and, and was used uh, with a number of other people who were survivors of my acquaintance who, uh, who had a similar blanket burrito introvert response as a part of their healing process. So it's a, that's a thing. It's real. It's a part of it. Yeah. I'm so glad that you had um, that friend, that uh, that housemate that was able to, and I do remember you talking about that at, at the time, um, him, you know, knowing when it was, when it was right and when it was wrong, but, um, but pulling you out of your shell and getting you out of your room and saying like, we're going to go do something. We're going to go out. We're going to go be around people and, uh, and be social. Um, and had some fun. Well, that actually wasn't a housemate, but it was oh, a friend. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Different. Was different he a friend, friend that was like always at your house? Yes. Okay. Yes. Oh, okay. That's why I was confused. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was one of those situations where normally I'm like I'm a closed door person. Like I'm like leave me alone. I'm holding up. Um, but he was just one of those good friends who, through personality and just being a good person would just show up and you know had a key to our place and he would just bust in and be like yo sis get up we're we're going Mm -hmm. (laughs) like he would knock on my door and be like I'm not coming in because you're probably naked but like get dressed (laughs) shower like I'm gonna be downstairs playing video games like get up (laughs) get your butt out of bed we're having fun (laughs) and I don't know it was really helpful having a person like that yeah around because that's not my uh not my thing (laughs) usually that's not my intuitive pull is no not to to get up and go do things and that's that's certainly something that I wouldn't be able to help you with (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it um it taught me a lot about distraction as a useful healing tool which I had previously never really done Mm -hmm. I was more of a wallower when used appropriately Um, yeah yeah I mean don't distract like all the time eventually yeah. you have to deal with stuff but um there's a lot yeah it was, it was at some point nice. it becomes repression but 
or avoidance. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, exactly. No, just every yeah. so often doing something else and, you know, having an experience where it was like, oh, hey, like here I am out having fun. I can still do that. I can still have fun. Like, yeah, this, this, is, I, yeah. I, this does a person outside of my trauma. Yeah. And being able to have something that's going to pull you outside of yourself where you might have um, some sections where like you might be having fun, where you might forget what happened. And then inevitably, mm-hmm. like you do come back to yourself and you're like, oh, you know, but that experience of having forgotten for a moment, I think is ultimately really important because it does show you like that that's possible, that it's it's possible to have moments in life that last, you know, a certain duration where you won't be focusing on it or remembering it or that won't be, you know, the whole of your reality, that you'll let it go, that you'll forget, that you'll still be you uh, and that that's possible. And whether you realize it consciously or not, it introduces the idea that maybe you'll be able to forget for longer and longer stretches of time, you know, and it'll still come back because it still happened, but it's not always going to be everything. Yeah, completely agree. And it helps kind of, if there's kind of piles in your life of like good stuff and bad stuff or, you know, things that we tend to think of as good and things we tend to think of as, you know, harmful or, mm-hmm. or traumatic. Like it, I think just helps to start throwing more good stuff on the piles. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and help balance it out a little more mm. or un- unbalance it as case maybe. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, as far as um the process of writing the thesis, yeah, it totally sucked. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it was horrible which which to be Um, honest about thesis like work it usually does suck but like a special kind of of harrowing for this thesis oh yeah it was a special sort of hell Mm -hmm. um and I had to write it in pieces I had to write it like 20 minutes at a time um Yeah, it was it was pretty rough, especially because at that point in my life, I was very much a procrastinator. Um, And yeah, it was it was pretty rough Um, because basically what would happen is I would be writing it. I did all the research and I kind of pulled it all together and, you know, had pulled out all the quotes I was going to use and, you know, put them in my handy dandy outline of where they were going to go. Um, but then you have to sit down, sit down and actually write it. Mm-hmm. Um, and because just of, because of the school I went to, the program I was in, there was a required personal element um, where you had to engage with the material you were covering uh, in a personal way. Um, and it was very challenging to sit down and write about trauma and to write about my own experiences with trauma. Um, and I would just start crying Mm -hmm. (laughs) like every, every few minutes or so. And I got into this weird routine of, I would wake up, drink some tea, write for 20 minutes, start crying, Mm -hmm. go back to sleep for like a half hour, then wake up and do it again. And so I was taking like a lot of naps to sort of reset my brain or my nervous system. Um, yeah, and it actually worked pretty well. <laughs> that's that's actually I hear that a lot. 
um, the naps as a reset and also just like the increased need for sleep post trauma. Mm-hmm. Oh, I slept a lot that senior yeah. year. Yeah. Like I was just exhausted yeah. all the time. In every way possible. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Brutal. But you know, it it got done and um Yeah, it's a, a thing. And now you're a badass with a degree. Yeah, it took a lot of work, but you yeah. know. Maybe maybe more work, uh well definitely more work than it would have otherwise. But, um, yeah, I was really fortunate to have great teachers who, um, when I, when I came back, uh, for senior year and was having all kinds of issues with trauma, um, I think it took me a month of, you know, kidding myself into like, no, maybe I'll be fine. And like, I won't have to tell them like, that is a complete lie. Like, no, um, I had to tell my teachers because, yeah, that was total bullshit. Um, he's like, I don't know. I think great advice that you kind of have touched on and that I've learned over the years is, you know, get, get disability services put in place, like talk to whether it's principals or deans or, you know, authority figures, like whoever you need to talk to, like get stuff put in place before you need it. Mm-hmm. Like when things are good, like warn them that there are stormy seas potentially ahead. Well, and if <laughs> they don't occur, you great. You know, like if if you yeah, don't use like, those services, fantastic. You know, yeah, it's awesome. But and it's all confidential, so no one needs like no yeah. one else will know yeah. unless you tell them. Um, but if those if things do get challenging, it is next to impossible to figure that shit out no. when you're Nav- navigating with that trauma. shit. Like, absolutely not. Like, it just won't happen, at least for me. Um, no, because it's all executive so, yeah. function, and executive function shit usually goes just right out the window when yeah, you're in the down. middle of crisis mode, generally, for people. Like, it's extremely difficult. And so navigating, like, basically bureaucracy. Um, yeah. And then also having to advocate for yourself um, while performing executive function stuff it's just no 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 no. like you cannot do that while you're in the middle of a crisis you have to do it and yet and the wonderful thing though is if you do get it kind of set up beforehand give people a heads up when you're actually in crisis they are much more able and willing and inclined to support you yeah because they knew it was coming. Yes. And they're not like, why is this person suddenly not showing up to class, not returning phone calls, not emailing back? You know, suddenly they're like, oh, that thing that you said might happen, it's happening. Like, let's find a way forward together. And it's a lot less scary to go talk to someone, you yeah. know, when you can be like, hey, I don't want to talk about what's going on. Just that, like, this thing that I warned you about is going on. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that makes sense. So yeah, I think I, I emailed my teachers probably like a month, a month or so into my senior year, and just sent them all a a blanket email mm-hmm. that was you know something I'd written and copied pasted, and the responses were actually really amazing from everyone, mm-hmm. um, with the exception of that one guy. But yeah. you know, he doesn't. <laughs> he's <count>. special. <laughs> yeah, he he doesn't count. Um, he's the odd one out. Um, but everyone else was really just incredibly supportive. Um, yeah. Awesome. And yeah. 
people usually surprise you. Yeah, I think people want to want to be helpful and want to, you know, be kind to each other generally. And I think it's just sometimes we need to help them out and tell them what is helpful. You know, show them, give them a little direction. Yeah. Because what's helpful for one person isn't going to be helpful for someone else. Yeah, that's true. Well, and it, you know, it does get difficult though when, you know, you're operating blind and you don't know what's helpful or what you need. Mm -hmm. That can be really scary. Well, and for some people, you know, they need more reaching out from from a, a teacher or from a friend. Um, and for some people, that can feel really overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think finding those moments when we're not feeling totally overwhelmed and trying to the best of our ability to, like, communicate a little bit with people. Um, yeah. But I think a lot of that takes learning ourselves and learning what it is that we actually need, which can be a big task. Yeah. Because, I mean, I, I, I've definitely had it happen where someone has asked me, like, what do you need? Like, what can I do to help? And I'm just like, uh, I have no idea what I need. Yeah. That's just, yeah, it's hard. I actually remember um, what made a big difference for me with teachers when I was setting everything up. I recall uh always like part of my conversation with them was making it very clear and just straight up saying I care deeply about my education I care about your class and I care about the material and it's very important to me and I want to do well and I want to do the work and when things get bad sometimes I shut down and I stop communicating and I stop reaching out And I just want you to know that in advance to know that it doesn't mean that I don't care. And yeah, and that that made a big difference. Um, So just like knowing ahead of time, like just, you know, by being me for so long and observing my own patterns of behavior, like knowing that like at a certain point I shut down and communication gets really hard and I want to avoid it um, in terms of teachers. And, uh, and just letting them know, like, knowing from the past that silence um, and no work from my end looks like I don't give a shit. Unless I've told you ahead of time that that is absolutely 100% not the case and that this is going to happen and that this is why. And it made a huge difference. And uh, for the most part, like, there, you know, there were exceptions, but for the most part, it made the difference that I needed where teachers kept that faith the whole way through where they believed the whole time that I cared that I wanted to do the work and that I cared about the material and for teachers that's a big deal like knowing that the student is invested makes a huge difference and it makes them want to help if you have a student that wants to do the work and wants to do well and is just struggling but wants help and is open to it massive like almost all the teachers like will care like if they're if they're good teachers like they'll care and they'll want to help like they'll want to help you do well they want you to do well they want you to succeed again if they're good teachers there are exceptions um well and let's face it most teachers do not get into the job for good pay 
No, not at all. Like it's they a do huge because problem. they care. Yeah. Like they don't get paid nearly. No, well they're totally just. Oh my god, they're treated like shit in this country. It's awful. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Like in general, they're passionate people, and um, and a lot of like the bad teachers that I know, they're burned out. I think is a huge part of it. You know, like generally they were like older. They'd been doing it for a long time. They're burned out. And uh, yeah. And if you're, you know, it depends on the kind of person you are. Like burned out for one person is like tired and like not trying as hard. Maybe like burned out for another person is fucking abusive. You know, if they were always kind of mean, then, you know, now you're just the worst. And you're just like hurting children. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. This has been part one of my interview with Chie. Please join me again for part two when we discuss a number of things, including eating disorders and cults. Please write in with listener questions and episode requests to podcast.findingok at gmail.com. I would absolutely love to hear from you. This podcast relies entirely on crowdfunding, and you are the ones that are helping me make it happen. Thank you. A link to the GoFundMe can be found on the podcast website, and I share links routinely on my Facebook page. Please feel free to friend me, Hecate F-O-K, and that's spelled O-K-A-Y. Thank you so much for your support. Please share, subscribe, and donate if you can. This has been Finding Okay. Take care of yourself. Your heart is a muscle the size of your fist. Keep on loving. Keep on pointing. And hold.